go down in Shadows Fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. It is a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. It is the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Welcome. It's another sun uh, Sunday night if you're on Central Time. Uh, it's already Monday. Monday morning for me. Now for Mike, yeah, you're you're in the past, I'm Trevor. So yes, that's right, that's right. Mike, Mike is in the past there in Central Time and uh, in beautiful Southern Mississippi. Southern Mississippi, Middle Mississippi. Uh, I'm somewhere in Mississippi. That's all I'll say. Somewhere in Mississippi. See, you know, I'm. Uh, uh, I, I'll say I'm in. I, I'll, Mississippi. Uh, see, I'll admit Southern it. I'm in. I'm in Southern Indiana. So. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not afraid. The ZZ Top story. The ZZ Top song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that's Top right. About being in Mississippi. Yeah. That's right. Oh, There's like actually ZZ a couple Top. of couple of songs about Mississippi that they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so what's uh, what's what's new and exciting in uh, in in Mississippi or all around the town where you are, Mike? Oh, gee, the town. This the town around here. Uh, not much to talk about. Um, in fact, I don't even have much to do with it, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got a new article coming out this month, actually in about 11 days. No, not even 11 days. About eight days. I've got an article mm-hmm. coming out in, uh, a, 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 a once, a once a year sort of scholarly magazine about, uh, Robert E. Howard studies. Robert E. Howard being the, the Texas writer whose mother was from Mississippi, by the way, mm. uh, who, uh, created Conan. Mm-hmm. Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Sumerian. He created uh, Solomon Cain, um, Cole, King Cole, a whole bunch of. I mean, he he basically created sword and sorcery, the genre, on the sword and sorcery fiction. And uh, he's from Texas, and uh, they have this whole subculture about his writing, just like you know, for any great American writer. And I do think he's a great American writer. And um, I was asked to write an article for this thing called uh, Robert E. Howard Two Gun Raconteur. And it's a once a once a year yearly journal, and uh, so I wrote an article for them about the the real life evidence that corresponds to Howard's essay he wrote called the Hyborian Age. And he wrote this essay, you know, in in preparation for writing his Conan stories, he wrote an essay called the Hyborian Age, which is set in prehistory, approximately twelve thousand years ago, and and he he talks about you know the age before that, what happened to that. All the things that happened, the cataclysms, the movements of people, and so forth, and then he, and he, and he goes into the civilization that results after that, which is the Hyborian Age, and then the end of that, which is our own prehistory, and then how that led up to the modern day and all the modern nations and peoples and stuff. And it's a very elaborate thing that he wrote to set up this very realistic backdrop for his stories. And it, as I reveal in this uh, in this piece that I wrote, about forty five hundred words that. Uh, he was really onto something because he had figured out a lot of things, um, you know, just obviously just for the purposes of his own his own uh, fiction writing. 
But mm-hmm. many of the things that he put in the Hyborian Age are now being proven by science to more or less have been true or accurate or paralleled, you know, by modern day discoveries. So it's a very interesting article, and I think it's going to really, uh, really blow some minds. Hmm. And uh, where where can people find this article when it, when it has come out? Um, go online and look for R E H. I think it's R E H. Two Gun Raconteur. Two Gun and then Raconteur, which is R A C O N T E U R. So yeah, that's how you find it. R E H Two Gun Raconteur. And of course, there's links at my on my blog. And there's a link on my blog, and there's a link on. Uh, um, Actually, I have an article on my blog that says historical parallels to Howard's Hyborian Age. And, uh, you can go there and link to it. Or you can maybe, maybe find it on my Facebook page, Monomorphic Musings Facebook, Facebook page. So, there you have it. And that's the new thing coming out, which I think is going to be pretty good. Um, cool. Cool. And what about you? What are you up to? Oh, just, just busy, busy, busy. <laughs> I mean, you know, just the, uh, 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 the, the, the household, you know, stuff and disasters that's has, you know, uh, occurred over the past, uh, uh, couple of weeks that I'm not going to bore the audience with. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I do have a, uh, a new book out that, uh, uh, Actually, it, it, it's it's a reissue with uh, with with new information that uh, uh, that I wrote uh, uh, with uh, uh, Sean Castile. And oh, cool! It, yeah, it, it deals with the uh, um, the Morgellons uh, controversy, the Morgellons disease, right? And uh, and and there's also there's a, there's another section that uh, that goes into the whole um, red mercury. Uh, controversy. I don't know if you've ever heard of red mercury, yep. but, but, you know, especially in the 1990s, there was, you know, uh, I guess just, uh, um, um, really prolific, uh, rumors going around that there was a substance called red mercury, whether or not it was, you know, that, that it was actually, you know, like red mercury or if it was a cover name or, or what have you, and that it had been, uh, developed to make, um, I guess, uh, uh, easier atomic weapon, nuclear, nuclear weapons, right. uh, to the to the point that you could have an extremely small uh, 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 device that could, uh, 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 you know, release a uh, an explosion equivalent to a much larger conventional uh, nuclear weapon. And, you know, supposedly it had been developed. Yeah, you know, the rumors, you know, it, it, it's rather hard to pin down. You know, supposedly it had been developed in the uh, former Soviet Union. Some people said that it actually, you know, had been developed in uh, 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 Israel or South Africa or the United States was involved. You know, so, I mean, we, we get into that, you know, where, uh, uh, where it may have came from, whether or not it was, it was actually just a rumor, uh, there, you know, there, there's some, you know, um, um, highly, uh, qualified people though that, uh, that we have, you know, in, in this section of the book that, that talk about it, who, who actually feel that, you know, it's an actual, you know, this, this is, it, it's real and that the whole, um, 
the whole part of it, you know, like being, say, like an inter- basically just an internet rumor or an urban legend or anything like that, right. uh, was put out there by various governments who, you know, they, who, who don't want this information to get out because I guess, you know, it's highly sought after, you know, by ter- terrorist organizations. So, right. You know, right. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. But, you know, to, to me, you know, uh, also, you know, I mean, the, the, the whole Morgellons controversy is, uh, is extremely interesting. Um, you know, because of the fact that, you know, for the, for a long time, you know, uh, doctors, you know, dermatologists, uh, psychiatrists, viewed Morgellons as simply being a mental disorder. Exactly. You know, that, that, that the people who, um, who reported, you know, having these symptoms were, you know, just, you know, they were, they were nuts. I mean, I, you know, I hate to go and put it in such a, uh, right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's what they always do, you know, anything new, they, they try to um, disprove it if they can, it seems like, because, uh, you know, God forbid people figure things out for themselves and that isn't discovered by the medical establishment, you know. So, you know. well, and I, you know, and I have to, and I have to admit, you know, I mean, the the people who um, who have these symptoms, I mean, a lot of the stuff that they do, uh, it, they it really does fit right into what's called um, uh, like the 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 matchbox. Uh, delusion where people feel like that they have bugs or something crawling on their skins and then right. they'll pick pick them off and save them in you know like little boxes or stuff and then take them to their doctors so i mean you know i could see to a certain extent why uh some people uh why you know some uh, uh, a lot in the medical profession you know would would dismiss this but yeah uh, but you know from the beginning they were particularly um what's the word dismissive Mm, oh yes, all people's claims with this. Yes, oh very much so, very much so. And uh, and, and once again, I mean, you know, it's a situation that the uh, you know the doctors and scientists who did go and uh, and conduct the proper research, you know, on these people actually uh, getting the you know uh, uh, the the actual fibers um, off of these people, you know, because you know Morgellons is also called the fiber disease because there are uh, hair-like fibers that grow out of the lesions that these people are suffering from, and and you know and and, and then naturally, I mean the. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, doctors say, "Oh well, you know that it's just you know common fibers that you know that, that we pick up from everyday life." Well, the people who did the actual research, you know, actually discovered that uh, 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 the majority of these fibers are actually made of keratin. You know, the same yeah, you know thing exactly. that you're you know like you know your uh, 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 like fingernails are made out of. But but why are they growing out of places in your body? You know that they shouldn't be growing out of. Uh, so, I mean, it's an interesting book, and uh, the the re-release, the title is The Final Nail in Your Coffin, A Pox to All Mankind. <laughs> yeah. Well, you so, know, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of new, um, not just diseases, but ailments due to environmental things that are going on, and uh, um, there, there will be a lot of things that are being dismissed, I think. And, you know, I look at, for instance, all this zombie craze stuff that was going on. A lot of people were going berserk and attacking others and eating their faces. And, you know, several incidences of this happened in uh, in Florida. And everybody thought, well, is it a virus? Is it a bioweapon? You know, is it bath salts? And now they're thinking it could possibly have been caused by this, this stuff they're smoking called spice, 
which is just some chemical-laced garbage that people are smoking because it gives them a buzz and they can change the formula, you know, and then just sell it at the convenience store. Mm-hmm. And apparently it can cause these, uh, these violent reactions and mindlessness, basically. But, you know, I think that, that our society is on the verge of just, you know, tons of stuff like this. And unfortunately, it always takes us a while to figure out what's going on, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, whether it's influx of new diseases or which I think that Morgellons probably is a new disease that, that came in somehow, you know, cross borders and, and so forth or, or whatever it is. All these different things I think are going, we're going to see more and more of this. And then you look at like Fukushima, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's even talking about what Fukushima's doing right now, which is still spewing gunk into the environment, it, the hundreds and hundreds of tons every week, you know, maybe even thousands, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the West Coast, uh, fisheries are dying. The, uh, the, the Pacific's dying. And sooner or later, it's going to go everywhere. You can't contain that until, you, even if they stop it, they're still not going to contain what's already been let, let loose into the environment. So I have a funny feeling that we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of really strange things going forward. Yeah, well, speaking of that, uh, you've, uh, I've, I've seen you put out some, uh, interesting articles. You didn't write them. I mean, you just forwarded them along about the, uh, Large Hadron Collider that, right. uh, that I've found uh, really interesting. Well, I mean, there, and we talked about this, uh, in one of our previous shows, you know, yeah. the picture where they had created, uh, like a brief burst of antimatter that seemed to show like a face uh, uh, coming yeah. out of it. Yeah, know. actually they had several of those uh, look like faces, but actually I did write about this um, in 2011 in the third mm-hmm. edition of Caverns, Colleges, and Concealed Creatures. I, I wrote quite at length about the Large Hadron Collider and some of the symbolism that is there. Uh, really strange stuff and some of the, uh, the uh, other things that are going on with it and as far as I know, I was the first person to put that into print, uh, to write about the parallels between their statue outside of the LHC headquarters of Shiva the Destroyer, and then the idea, you know, in in uh, Revelation where it talks about um, the angel of the bottomless pit. Well, what is a wormhole? If you open up a wormhole, it's a mm-hmm. bottomless pit, and and you know it it calls it says his name it says his name he has the key to the bottomless pit. And his name is Abaddon, which is in the Greek Apollyon or Apollo, the destroyer. It says, which means the destroyer. So these people have a statue of Shiva the destroyer outside of their, their headquarters. They're trying to create, even on a subatomic level, um, uh, other, uh, other gateways to other dimensions or bottomless pits. They, you know, there are all these parallels that are going on there. And it says that this angel has the key to the bottomless mm. pit. Uh, key symbolism is very big. If you look at the site from the air, it's shaped like a key. Um, it looks like a key, literally, laid out on the ground. If you look at uh, uh, a lot of their videos that they put out, they have this whole thing where they're all walking around holding this big key, like they have the keys to the mysteries of the universe or something like this. But all these types of things are going on. And I recently did a blog post about it uh, called Planetary Russian Roulette. I did a uh, an interview, sort of an email thing, with Micah Hanks back in the uh, back in 2011, and he wrote an article for Mysterious Universe where he quoted me. Um, it was it was basically uh, concerns Large Hadron Collider cause catastrophes, and I pointed out to him then that that 
how it could cause catastrophes. You know, when you when you introduce a very powerful electromagnetic field, which is what they're doing, just with their giant electromagnets, which, by the way, they're about to turn up to unprecedented strength levels. When you introduce a very powerful electromagnetic field into an area where there are many other powerful electromagnetic fields, as in this case, the electromagnetic field of the Earth. And all, and, and you know that that varies from place to place. You have mm-hmm. zones where it's really strong, and so, strong uh, areas where it's weak. But when you introduce a very powerful magnet, magnetic field, into an area of electromagnetism that's already sort of sorted itself out and it's settled, what happens is the other areas of magnetism start moving. They try to restructure themselves. They try to re- reassemble themselves because they're being opposed by this other magnetic polarity. They, they have to re, they have to move. They, there's, that's just natural law. So every time they turn this damn thing on, and I will say damn thing, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll notice that, okay, the first time they turned it on and really cranked it up, just a few hours later there was a big earthquake in Chile. Right. Uh, the, ne- the next time they did it, they shut it down for a while. The next time they did it, uh, very shortly thereafter, there was a major quake off the coast of Japan, which resulted in a tidal wave and hmm. the Fukushima disaster. I mean, they keep doing this, and it turns out now that when they cranked it up, the last time they cranked it up and really turned on those magnets, um, there was a big series of avalanches in the Alps almost immediately afterward, and there was a giant earthquake in Nepal five hours later. So Mm. you can say it's all coincidence if you want to, but Mm -hmm. electromagnetic fields travel along the the edges of fault zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, magma mm-hmm. is a great conductor of electromagnetism. They mm-hmm. they travel they travel along um, um, mm. the the, pa- the plate the boundaries of, of tectonic plates. Well, right. most mountain ranges are formed by two tectonic plates. All all mountain ranges are two tectonic plates pushing at each other, pushing against each other. That's called mountain building. And so, when you have these these uh, earth these strange sudden earthquakes. Along these these uh, transition zones between tectonic plates, immediately after they turn this thing on and, and crank it up, I mean, it, it just seems to me like we need to be asking more questions about this device and and what it does. And there are other things that it does which are even worse than that. It could potentially cause some very serious problems in terms of creating strange particles, uh, what are called strange lits and and sub uh, subatomic black holes, which can actually mass together and become even even more dangerous than they already are. Um, just all kinds of stuff that they cannot contain in the lab. And that's why Stephen Hawking and uh, some others have, have been saying, hey, you guys need to stop. You need to slow this down. Uh, this is dangerous. And, you know, they they base their idea that that they can go ahead and make many black holes and, and observe them. They want to create many black holes mm-hmm. here on Earth. And they based this on something called the theory of Hawking radiation. And Stephen Hawking wrote a paper back in the 70s where he said that miniature black holes on a subatomic level will dissipate. They will evaporate. Okay, so they've taken that theory, and it is just a theory, and they said, okay, this is fine. We could do this now. Okay, it's not proven. There's there's no proof. They're creating many black holes and just letting them loose. They can't contain right. those. Okay. Well, Hawking has come out and said, you know what? I was wrong about that. I've really <laughs> thing. Everything I said about that was incorrect. I now do not believe they evaporate. You know, don't make them. Don't make many black holes. No, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> and they are ignoring him. Hmm. So they base their first 
premise upon doing it because he said it was okay. Like he's some kind of God. Then he's changes his mind and they ignore him. I, you know, I, I just, I see major disasters coming because of that device. That's all I'll say about it. I mean, I really think that, that it's the most Luciferian, uh, we are gods bunch of crap I've ever seen, you know, in my lifetime. So. Right. Wow. <laughs> well, and that, and, uh, uh, you, you put up a, uh, a very interesting video of a, uh, uh, uh just a, a weird UFO that, you know, allegedly was, uh, videotaped out of, uh, an airplane window that, uh, you had, uh, you had stated oh, it looked yeah. like that, that it, uh, this was like on the opposite side of the planet of the, uh, Large Hadron? Yeah, it, it was, it would have been, uh, diametrically opposite. Mm-hmm. The, the location in Switzerland, like if you were to go straight through the planet, it would have come out right there by New Zealand somewhere, right. and that's where this was filmed. However, that being said, you know we have no way of knowing what that thing was. It looks or like whether or not it whether or not it was you know just CGI because I mean no yeah. no information yeah. has come out about who took the picture, or, you know right. what airline they were on, or, or anything like that. You know, right? Uh, and, and you know when something explodes, like you have a big explosion, you know you'll see a weird looking debris clouds. That will float around, but they don't usually hang together like that. I mean, the thing almost looked like a brain, honestly. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. You know, very so, weird. I mean, so I could see, you know, like you were saying, on the opposite side of the planet after you know they had done something in the uh, Large Hadron Collider. Then on the opposite side, this you know this this creature comes out from another dimension. It's like the beginning of a uh, bad sci-fi movie. It's <laughs> like uh, the Mist, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Very yeah, good. You know, in, in, in the, in, remember in the Mist. Um, they were fooling with a, a particle collider right. to open up another a gateway to another dimension, and they succeeded. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, like I say is, you know, why in the hell would you want to open up gateways to other dimensions when you don't know what is there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like uh, uh, you know, sending sending out messages into space saying, "Come, come over here. Here's the dinner bell. Ding, ding, That's ding. right. <laughs> we are uh, to serve man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People are so stupid. I'm right. Sorry. No, no, you're right, though. You're right. I mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, you know, uh, people are so full of themselves to think that, oh, well, nothing bad can happen. You know, well, there's well, there's no other dimensions. There's no life in other dimensions, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's even worse, Tim, because when they were first going to come, uh, talking about cranking this thing up, what all they planned to do with it, people were trying to warn them, and, and they gave press conferences and made a bunch of smart-ass comments about it. They they said things like, well, there is a slight chance that it could destroy the Earth or potentially do some serious damage to the Earth, but it's such a minuscule chance that we're willing to take that chance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, thank, it, yeah. Well, thank you for risking that. the rest of us. Right, and they even said this. The guy says, well, we think the odds of destroying the earth are about the same as winning the lottery three times in a row uh people have actually won the damn lottery three times in a row mm-hmm. sorry that's you, you know i mean the, the arrogance the sheer arrogance like that's why that's why i say it's luciferian it, it's it's as if we are gods you know we will do whatever we want to do you know i don't think every little two-year-old and, and every person on the planet got to have a vote in this shit excuse my french no, no they didn't ask me uh, didn't ask they didn't me ask- i didn't get to vote yeah yeah, they didn't, they, you know, they didn't, they, you know, they, and they didn't come think and, we're all stupid. You know, if you don't have a PhD, you don't understand physics, uh, wrong. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and sorry, some of us have enough understanding to know what you're doing is very dangerous, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll just, uh, 
let's we'll just have to hope for the best unfortunately because it's it's kind of out of our hands unless you know everybody just uh uh storms the place and <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a feeling that something's going to happen there that's going to be devastating they're going to crank this thing up and something's going to happen hopefully on the site okay I know that uh it'll confine itself to that site yes well you hope mm-hmm. uh Nostradamus you know, actually wrote a very strange quatrain. And, you know, if you if you look into what they're talking about, they keep talking about Saturn. They want to open up a gateway to Saturn. What the hell does mm. that mean? I don't know. What does that mean? Okay, that's bizarre. You know, Saturn is considered, in esoteric uh, circles, Saturn is considered the gateway to the throne of Satan. Supposedly Satan has his throne uh, inside of Saturn. This is mm-hmm. something that you find in all kinds of ancient crap that's out there. So Nostradamus basically said this. In Century 9, Quatrain 44, he said something very strange. He said, leave, leave Geneva, every last one of you. Saturn mm-hmm. will be converted from gold to iron. Raypaws will exterminate all who oppose him. Before the coming, the sky will show signs. People have always wondered what that means. And he talks mm. about this being or this thing called Raypaws, R-A-Y-P-O-Z. Well, he's talking about Saturn. He's talking about Geneva, mm-hmm. which is where the Large Hadron Collider basically is. Uh, and when they do their, their collisions, the, the subatomic particle collisions with a super collider at the site, of the Large Hadron Collider, they're taking two positronic rays, two rays of positrons, hmm. and they're crossing those rays in a, in a specific way so that the, the particles in the two beams collide. Mm-hmm. Okay? And here you have Nostradamus saying, Ray Paz will exterminate all who oppose him. Leave, leave hmm. Geneva, every last one of you. Saturn will be converted from gold to iron. Ray Paz will exterminate all who oppose him. Before the coming, the sky will show signs. So I would say they're messing with something they don't need to be messing with. That's just my gut feeling here. You know, you look at uh, everything from the, the, the parallels with, with uh, Rev- Revelation and them talking, to, them using Shiva as their symbol. You know, Shiva, the destroyer of worlds, okay? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty stupid, okay? <laughs> so... Uh, well, <laughs> we've seen it before. We'll yep. see it again. Yep. Hopefully, uh, we will. All right. Well, Mike, let's. Uh, um, we need to to go to our break, but I want to uh, quickly talk about our guest that we have tonight, uh, who is Mary Sutherland, and uh, Mary is an author and a hands-on uh, researcher. Um, uh, she is, uh, uh, interested in just, uh, all the kinds of things that we love here on the outer edge. Uh, uh, one of her books is called, uh, the red haired giants. Uh, another one is, uh, in search of ancient man lost in time. Uh, she has mysteries exploring the mysteries of Burlington and Southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, seems like, seems like Wisconsin is the center of a lot of, uh, unusual things, especially when it comes to, uh, uh ancient history and, right. uh, you know, some of the things that, uh, uh, conventional, uh, archaeology, uh, uh, are kind of loath to talk about. Uh, so, um, that's, uh, 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 oh, and she also has a uh, haunted Burlington, uh, Wisconsin and uh, right. revelation, uh, a book called revelations, truth revealed. Uh, and, uh, she has, um, uh, a website, uh, called, uh, uh, burlingtonnews.net. 
Uh, right. So lots of uh, interesting information uh, there as well. So why don't we go to our break now, Mike? And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have with us uh, Mary Silverman on the Outer Edge. So you're listening to us here on the PSN Radio Network. We're glad uh, you're with us tonight. And uh, stay tuned. And when we come back, we'll have Mary Silverman. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com. Covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. 
Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz, and we are currently joined by a very special guest. I actually was on her radio show several years ago, BUFO Radio. Um, she's a very interesting person. She's an author, owner of the Sci-Fi Cafe in in, uh, in Burlington. She's tour guide for Sacred Sites and Historical Tours in Burlington, Wisconsin. Uh, just, just a very interesting person. She owns uh, BurlingtonNews.net. And she has written some very interesting books on red-haired giants and and time travel and uh, haunted Burlington, Wisconsin, all kinds of cool stuff. So I'd really like to welcome Mary Sutherland to the show. Mary, very good to talk to you. Well, it's great being on your show. I'm looking forward to it. <coughs> well, it's it's. I'm looking at your uh, at your books right now, and I see that you've just got at least six books out right now. Is that correct? Right, and I'm working on uh, two others, uh, but uh, the In Search of Ancient Man, that uh, that includes the uh, Red-Haired Giants, that's a right. five-book series, and, uh, and I'm working on book number three right now. Very but, cool. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting yeah. journey for me. And what's uh, what's the name of uh, the 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 first one in that series? The first book in that series? Uh, Lost in time. Lost in time. Okay. Lost okay. in time. And, and you also do a, a a conference every year, don't you? Well, I haven't. Well, I kind of got to update you a little bit here, Michael. Um, I as of December thirty first, I closed down the Sci Fi Cafe. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and we moved to uh, a little town here in Winslow, uh, Illinois. But I'm still doing my sacred site tours in Burlington. Okay. And and I haven't been doing the conferences either. Um, I just kind of got burned out on that. But I I am uh, on the lecture circuit now myself, and uh, I'll be... At um, um, Stuart Swerdlow's conference, October 9th through the 11th in St. John, Michigan, uh, talking about uh, the red-haired giants, and also, well, it's actually a two-hour lecture I'll be giving. One first part will be on the red-haired giants, and the second part will be more on uh, communicating with the quantum world and psychic photography. Well, cool. Very cool. So now, yeah, now, now Winslow, now, that's not too far away from the uh, uh, Illinois-Wisconsin border, so, I mean, yeah. you, you you didn't move that far away. No, it's actually one mile inside the Illinois line, just 
just close enough where I have to change my driver's license, my you know my plates for my car, my insurance, and da 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 da. You know, right. a little pain there, but uh, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. actually over by uh, in between Monroe, Wisconsin, and uh, Freeport, Illinois. And Linda Godfrey contacted me, and which uh, kind of shocked me into the fact that she wanted to let me know that Freeport, Illinois, is right in the middle of all the dogman sightings. Wow! Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyhow, I'm kind of excited to get out there and start tracking down a few dogmen too. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Well, it's just it's 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 always a matter of just getting that one that first person to trust you and talk to you, and then the word will get out, and you'll get other people who then will feel a little bit more easy about you know admitting that they've had sightings, knowing that you know you're not going to go and laugh at them or you know ask them what how much they've been drinking that night. Well, you know, I, I've had experiences with Bigfoot, so I know Bigfoot exists. You know, I had mm-hmm. an actual encounter, uh, I think it was last year. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I got a little dry cough today. But uh, just recently here, uh, I got a telephone call from I, uh, the uh, county sheriff's department. And I'm thinking, uh oh, I'm in trouble now for some reason, right? <laughs> but what they want to do was, uh, a bunch of the deputies wanted to get together with me and do a haunted woods tour. Well, I really didn't want to go, um, uh, at that point of time and, you know, I kind of hee hawed around about it. And then they says, well, if you do go, we've got information for you. Well, I oh. immediately perked up on that one, right? So I says, okay, I'll be there in a couple hours. So anyhow, I went to, Brad and I went to Burlington and they, and this was the county sheriff's department deputies and they were giving me reports of dogman sightings that they have had, that they have physically encountered and, um, and also UFO reports. So, yeah, I, I'm. They opened up a whole new world to me because once you start getting reports, you know, or validation, you know, actual sightings from the sheriff's department, you know, that's a whole new ball game. You know, I, you know, I put them with uh, Linda Godfrey because I felt that she could do the best for them, and of course, she's going, she's going to be doing a write up on them in her next book changing their names of course and we got to be careful of what you know what county i can't be telling what county that the sheriff's department was from but it was oh. let's just say it was local but you know because we don't want them losing their jobs you know so but uh they also had ufo uh reports to give to me of their sightings and uh that so that was kind of interesting and uh, so, yeah, so now I know that there really are these creatures out there, these dog Right, creatures. and they are negative entities, too. Yeah, I I don't know. They if are. they're yeah. like uh, the Bray Road Beast that Burlington is known for or Elkhorn yeah. is known for, that Linda Godfrey kind of, you know, wrote, you know, introduced to the world. Now that one is a very timid creature. 
uh, he basically focuses on eating roadkill and small animals. Well, if you if you look at it though, you'll see his encounters with people have not always been totally uh, timid. I mean, he he really? even there there may be some other things going on here because her, she had the whole story in her book, her first book about the the night watchman who ran into one of these things, and it basically. Uh, acted kind of belligerent, hostile, and it said something to him. And what it, basically what it said was it said Gadara, and the god the Gadarene de- demoniac is the guy that Christ encountered in the graveyard. Who you know he sent the he took the demons out of the guy and sent them into the the herd of swine. Right. So the fact that it would say something like that is just very very strange. Huh? I, see, I never heard that story. Yeah, yeah, that's in her first book. Well, this uh, one of the police officers said that over by Bong, that's right outside of Burlington, he encountered one of those dogmen, and it was there was snow on the ground at the time, and it was uh, the dogman was running across the field there, and uh, you know upright, you know mm. not on all yeah. fours, but standing running upright. So he stopped his car, pulled out his equipment. And took off. Now the dogman at that point in time he couldn't see, but he saw the footprints. So right. he was following the footprints, trying to track it down. And he said that the footprints just disappeared. Hmm. And he got so far in there, and all of a sudden there was no more. Right. Print. And he looked around, you know, hoping that he could pick up the prints someplace else. But he says there was no footprints or dogman to be seen. But he says I know what I saw, you know. And, right. Yeah. And so it does lead one to think that maybe they are dimensional, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's something very definitely, definitely otherworldly about the whole thing. Yeah. Well, now, what are, What are the physical characteristics of the dog man that that gives them that name? Well, uh, they have, uh, unlike you know the Bigfoot. Uh, you know the Bigfoot's got that flat face like mm-hmm. ours, but the dog man has that long snout. Look, you right. know, like. The face of a dog or um, or a, a wolf, you know. So I would imagine you could almost say that they're like a Wisconsin werewolf. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. but, yeah. yeah, we've been having sight. Oh, and let me tell you another thing too. I got with these guys are going to probably choke me for telling you. That. <laughs> you know? We won't, we won't tell anyone. We promise. No, no, it's a secret. You know? Yeah. It's, you know, if you don't want a story told, don't come to Mary Sutherland, right? <laughs> but anyhow, I met with a couple of these deputies and Linda Godfrey down here about two weeks ago um, in uh, Whitewater. And um, Linda brought with her a picture, okay, of a, uh, of a Bigfoot uh, that the farmer had taken right outside of Burlington on Bray Road. And you know how most of your uh, your pictures, you know, that you get of Bigfoot are blurry? Mm-hmm. This one was crystal clear, you know. Yeah. But, again, you know, uh, she she uh, she's very careful, you know, especially with me where she says that she found, you know, where, where these... Well, apparently, from what she did tell me, though, is that the farmer... There's a family of these Bigfoot in... Uh, you know, and the farmer doesn't want the the uh, story coming out with the location because you know, he's trying to protect his family of Bigfoot, and he doesn't want a bunch of people down in that area either. You know, walking on his in his fields and destroying you know 
the whatever he's got planted there. But yeah, oh, boy. But I'd I love to see that I photo. Saw, <laughs> I saw that photo, and uh, what the, it was doing was it was not it was like um, kind of hunched down, and it was looking at the farmer, but it was hunched down, you know, in the taller, you know, weeds. You know, trying to sneak through that field without being seen. But you could see his waist on up. And it was, that picture was just crystal clear. There was no doubt looking at that picture of what you were looking at. So anyhow, and we've, and I know that we got Bigfoot in the Burlington area. And because, uh, I found evidence and then I was actually, um, uh, doing a tour last year, and uh, one of those, uh, a big male came running off the, from the top of the hill, running down the hill, screaming at me, you mm. know. And it uh, it it broke trees, and uh, and it left footprints, and I uh, and I got pictures of the footprints and the broken tree because we went back the next day, you know, and tried to collect any evidence, and luckily. During that time, that evening that the, we got rushed by that Bigfoot, it had rained, so the ground was real soft and even muddy in places, and we so we got some nice prints. But uh, but then again, he got he was running out down off that hill at me and the and the people that I had on the tour, and he got about no oh, maybe about twenty twenty five foot from me, and then he just stopped, kind of stepped off to the side behind the, these bushes. And, uh, in a bunch of the people that was on tour, they, uh, want, they wanted, uh, me to go with them and look for the Bigfoot. And I says, no, I'm fine right where I'm at. You know, you guys want to go. I says, just remember what are you going to do when you catch him? But anyhow, they went out there looking for him, you know, see if, cause he wasn't making any noise, you know. And so anyhow, they wanted to see him closer up. So anyhow, they went out there. There wasn't a sign of him. I mean, you know, they couldn't find him. He's just like he disappeared, you know. And, yeah, so there, but I think, Michael, what they're doing is like what you said in your book is uh, there's a huge cave system, underground cave system, right. you know, in the Burlington area. And, and and my theory is is that they're using these cave systems to live in, and then they then they're nocturnal and they come out at night a lot. Sure, they can also use them to you know to, if they know the system well, they can move about uh, you know from one entrance to another and basically travel in the area without being seen that much. Yeah, um, there are there are lots of things you'll find a lot of times with with cryptid encounters that there's usually some sort of a cavern system nearby, and also the the same structure, uh, geologic structures that give us cavern systems, which tend to be limestone. Um, they're, they're highly conduct, conductive or con, conductive of electromagnetism. Um, mm-hmm. Often they'll have a high electromagnetic field higher than the surrounding area. And this is because the, the stone itself acts like a battery uh, due to its quartzite content. And when water runs through it, which of course is what creates the caves to begin with, the water generates an electromagnetic field. So you have all kinds of weird stuff that goes on, uh, uh, you know, in areas where there's uh, where it's a high density of caves. Um, so, you know. Well, that would explain why we have such a high paranormal activity in those woods. Yes, they yes, it would. Suspect that those that cave systems right underneath those woods. That's that's right. probably that's the reason why. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, they've even shown that, you know, you can actually measure it with, with equipment that, that, you know, when, when water is running over certain types of rock, it generates a powerful electromagnetic field. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's probably something, to, something going on there with the, with the caves, with, with the whole um, geological structure there in that area. Well, that whole area is a, a karst system, K-A-R-S. Exactly. And uh, these little lakes that, and swamps that everybody are seeing around Burlington are sinkholes, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I look at that a lot, like you said in the book. So, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely a big part of it. Thank you. Yeah, that's well, that, that yeah, it helps to get uh, other people's opinions, you know, that have uh, worked on, you know, have researched this stuff out. You know, it's hard going on it on your own, you know. <laughs> but so, thank you for your, uh, you know, your, oh sure, uh, your theory. Yeah. Well, well that was the that was the question yeah. that. I was just going to say that was the question I was going to ask you is, I mean, you know, well, uh, there, there seems to be just a high concentration of, uh, of, of, of weirdness in, in that part of the, the country. I mean, not only do you have, like you said, you know, the reports of, uh, Bigfoot and Dogman and UFOs, uh, but there's also the, uh, uh, the mounds with the uh, giant bones in them and other kinds of uh, um, uh, 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 of relics that that seem to defy uh, defy the conventional uh, understanding of uh, of archaeology and I mean you know what uh, what makes you think that it's 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 like that there I mean and I know we just uh, <laughs> We just talked about that, you know, with the uh, limestone and the high uh, concentration of uh, electromagnetism. But I mean, do you do you think there's more? You know, th- there's more things going on that uh, that that we're not seeing. Oh sure, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, like people will ask me all the time. They'll say, "Well, how do you find these portals?" You know, and I, I tell them, I says, "All it's real simple. All you look for is the mounds." And, mm. you know, temple areas, because those are markers for these high-energy places, you know, these right. multi-dimensional portals. And in um, surrounding, well, Wisconsin, you know, they, there's tens of thousands, or used to be tens of thousands of these earthen mounds, and, and, and rock mounds as well. Um, several years ago, maybe, gosh, you know how time flies, maybe it's been five, six years ago, I actually uh, uh, found a, a stepped pier- flat top pyramid in the Burl- right in, basically right in the Burlington li- city limits. Hmm. There was this huge hill that uh, right on the top of the hill is this big bed and breakfast, big mansion. And I've always felt this high energy in that area, but finally, uh, it was winter and I had nothing to do, so you know, I'm just going through archive pictures, you know, from the Historical Society of Burlington, and I came across where they first started building on this hill, you know, before they, you know, tore it all apart and put the house on there. And I looked at that and I about fell off my chair because there it was. It was a stepped flat top pyramid. Wow. And, uh, and I have it in my book, a nice picture of it. But it's actually the same size. It's larger. Well, I had Frank Joseph here 
And I had him take a look at it and uh, Wayne Mays and a few others, you know, because I like to get validation from other people. And they all agreed, sure enough, it was a flat-topped stepped pyramid. And it was larger than the one that that you see in Absalon. And I suspect that it's the same size as what you find in Cahokia, if not even a little bit larger. And Frank Frank Joseph told me it was a pyramid of the sun. And then, of course, you know, it overlooks um, this lake. And on the opposite side of the lake is where, you know, I take people to do those haunted wood tours where we suspect that there's that underground cave system. So, and then when I started looking at how the ley lines ran, um, we got major ley lines going through there. We got the the Shambhala ley line. We have the great Native American Indian ley line. Then there's a couple others, and I've forgotten through the years the name of those. But, you know, it's the main, you know, the main arteries, not the small ley lines, but the large ones. And uh, so anyhow, we got, I think there, I, I figured there was four of them, that, and they cross over. And, of course, you know, anytime you got those large energy lines that cross over like that, you have these huge blasts of energy. You know, it's like taking two, um, oh, like two um, uh, battery cables, car battery cables, and touching them together at the ends, and you get that little spark. Well, when you got those huge ley lines, you know, crossing over like that, they're, they have create like this blast of energy, which opens up these doorways, these portals, you know, into the other worlds. And, uh, and it changes, you know, it, it changes, um, you know, the time and, um, you know, um, well, it, oh my God, it, 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 it changes everything around there. Uh, 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 it changes the, uh, the displacement, it displaces, you know, time and, um, you know, in space, you know, so that, you know, with my pictures, you'll see people actually, you know, separating from their own bodies. Um, the energy is so strong that uh, the physical body can't actually hold the etheric body. So the etheric body can actually step out of the physical and into the other dimensions. And fortunately for me, I've discovered the way to, you know, uh, take pictures of, these people leaving their bodies and then coming back. It's pretty amazing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I've got, well, I think the last count was there was over 700,000 pictures I've got of people, you know, having these type of uh, dimensional experiences up there in those woods. But I'm sure that the reason, you know, that is the reason why they put that pyramid there, you know, and then the we have the rock mounds as well as the earthen mounds right there, and then a high concentration of UFO sightings as well as paranormal sightings. Hmm. Yeah. Well, has there been any uh, uh, research uh, done on that uh, uh, pyramid in the past? I mean, any acknowledgement that yeah, this is not a uh, you know a natural uh, you know hill? Yeah, well. There, the the um, there was a uh, it's in my book the red haired giants there was a gentleman by the name of F S Perkins and he was actually the 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 founder of the transition period from iron to copper or or when they actually started taking using 
or molding copper and using it, mm-hmm. you know. And anyhow, he used to uh, go. I mean, this is a long what time back. He's long dead and gone now. But uh, you know, he uh, he used to gather all these copper artifacts and um, and then uh, different and stone artifacts as well from that area. And uh, and it was through him he had he had actually found thousands you know of these different artifacts. He would. He would uh, go in the morning with his horse and wagon to all these different farmers, and he'd pay them, you know, a few pennies, I imagine, for each artifact that they found, you know, that, um, you know, in their fields. And he ended up with thousands of these artifacts. And um, and at that point in time, the the evidence of these mound builders just wasn't there. Uh, the the museums here in North America, they uh, they had a few pieces, you know, like your you know your upalas, you know, just a piece here and a piece there that just right. didn't make any sense. It was just a piece that was out of you know out of place. So they couldn't they couldn't understand what it was, and they really didn't care. Uh, or didn't want to put the energy to figuring it out, uh, and until F.S. Perkins came to almost the, you know, to you know his twilight years, and you know, and it was time to, you know, just, you know, take care of business before he passed. So he contacted all these different um, museums and donated all these pieces of the. Um, you know, of, of these artifacts of the mound builders to all these various um, um, museums. And he donated enough where at that point in time, now then they could actually look at it and they they realized that there was a people here that knew what nobody knew about. And they were casting metal, especially uh, copper and bronze. And thus became, thus opened up the idea of, um, of the mound builders. But if it hadn't been for F.S. Perkins from Burlington, Wisconsin, we probably would, it would have been a, a lost race that would have never been recovered if it hadn't been for his artifacts. Wow, that's really, pretty wild. But, I mean, that's, and, and, and then, um, you know, and, and then the, the archaeological department, or uh, you know, Wisconsin has done some work. But as far as the pyramid goes, I've taken people there. You know, like Wayne May and Frank Joseph, and you know, various researchers like that. You know, that have confirmed. Well, you know, you see it, you know what it is. I mean, there's no doubt in your mind. But. It's just, you know, it just doesn't seem like I can get enough interest in it from, you know, the archaeological department or, or even the owners of the bed and breakfast, you know, to do any research. So if I don't do the research myself, it doesn't get done, unfortunately. But I've dedicated, what now, 14 years to researching that area and... Uh, well, you know, it's it's really it's really a shame that you can't get um, others, uh, you know, especially those of the you know the, the the scientific community interested in doing further research uh, on these things. Uh, it's uh, I mean I I don't know I don't know what the reason is whether or not it's just I like, got you know there's just so many of them around 
and everybody is just kind of like sitting on their hands saying, oh, well, I mean, all the uh, pertinent research was done 100 years ago, so why should we do anything else? Well, it, it could be that, that it just is too overwhelming for people, but, you know, if um, if they're spending money, you know, out there, you know, with, you know, grant money, you know, to, you know, to dig, you know, in, in other countries, you would think that, you know, that the, whoever this is would want to show more interest in North America because I truly, truly believe that North America was the motherland. They did a, um, there's a, several um, geological reports, you know, from the uh, late 1800s, you know, showing that North America and part of, uh, and up in Canada had the oldest land in the world. Wow. And, and that um, there was a, a report done on it that saying that after the flood, the first dry land came was Canada and North America. And, and it was, and, um, while Europe and all those other places were still underwater. So it would only make sense if this was the first place that had dry land, this would be the first place of the, the new plants, you know, the new people, you know, and new animals, new birds, et cetera, et cetera. So. But I mean, I have, um, all those references. Hold on just a second. <laughs> One of those things, huh? That's but, right. <laughs> my husband got it for me. And then, and then, not only do we have that to prove that North America was the oldest land, but then that um, haplogroup X, you know, that uh, through DNA study, right, right, shows again that the oldest people, you know, and these mound builders. The, 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 the highest concentration of this X lineage is right here in North America. Sure. And um, anyhow, I have a whole chapter on tracing, you know, uh, tracing the X lineage and putting it right here in North America. And uh, so it disqualifies, you know, uh, the, the other work, you know, saying, you know, that the people came here instead of them being here and going out. You know, um, I've, I've really touched on a lot of things that most people haven't in my book. But if you, well, Michael might remember, I mean, I was doing study on the red-haired race and the red-haired giants 15 right. years ago. I was the one that actually, you know, coined it the red-haired race. And when I first started my research, you know, I had a lot of researchers coming down on me saying, you know, that, you know, I was crazy and presumptuous even, you know, coming up with a, a term like that, you know. And yeah. now we have over a million websites out there, you know, mm -hmm. speaking on this red-haired race of giants, you know. So, I right. mean, it's determination, you know. So, you know, I, I put a lot of time and effort into this and, I think when it comes to being a leading authority, you know, since I'm the one that first started the whole thing, I would assume that, you know, that uh, my, my theory is probably as good as anybody else's, right? Right. So we've got the, so we have the geolo geological reports showing that North America was the oldest. We have the, you know, the DNA studies. We've had, um, we've had language studies. 
you know, uh, still showing the same thing. And even Thomas Jefferson uh, 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 wrote uh, uh, something, you know, a report stating that he believed that uh, North America was the oldest of the lands, you know. Right, right. And he was the father, you know, the, of archaeology, you know. So he was the first one that started putting a shovel to this ground, you know, and trying to come up with an answer as to who this Caucasian race of uh, giants were that had red hair. And it was interesting because I think, you know, you see, in the days of Solomon and that, they used to use anagrams, you know, like how we play with crossword puzzles now. You know, they would play with anagrams. And... Uh, and when um, you look at Kane, uh, Kane is, um, well, you go C-A-I-N-E, but you can go C as an, uh, as uh, you can go C-A-N as an anagram and then change the C to a D and you have the tribe of Dan. And the tribe of Dan is a red-haired race, yeah, you know, yeah. and, it's the, and it's the Canaanites, you know, the Danites or Danites. You know, it's just a play of the words. Once you understand how to decipher those words, you know, decode them. Because um, this uh, this one guy, he was a professor at um, oh, Harvard, I believe it was. But anyhow, he was a professor of, uh, well, he was a linguist. And he would call me up every night and and do studies with me, trying to teach me, you know, how the English language was a coded language of of Atlantis. And he says, if you pay attention to the writ words and you play around with anagrams, he says, you'll be able to decode it and you'll find a whole new story within the story. And so that's what I've been doing all these years. And, and through it, I was able to start understanding who these red-haired people were, you know, and, and that they actually were the originators of, you know, the, or they were actually the ones that peopled, um, North America. And, and there, there was a time that a lot of people, what they do is when they want to know a history of North America, they just kind of Google history of North America, not really realizing that North America at one time was called Pushkara. And Pushkara is, uh, is a Brahmin name, which would take you back to the ancient Hindu. Right, and so, and it takes you back to Abraham as well, because Abraham is actually an anagram too. Because if you take take the A off Abraham, put it at the end, put the B of the M at the end to the front, you have Brahman. In other words, Abraham was a Brahman, and so that was a code word. The name Abraham was a code word for Brahman or ancient Hindus. And, uh, see, and we found like in, uh, Burlington, um, there's, um, there's a river that goes right through, um, right through Burlington and it was at one time called Pishtaka. And, um, and I always thought and everybody else did that Pishtaka was an Indian name. But as I started doing more research, I realized that Pishtaka was a Brahmin name for rice. And when Lewis and Clark went through here, um, they described this this river, which is now called the, I believe, the Fox. They actually said it was like a huge field of rice, five miles wide, and as far as the eye could see. So, so that's why they named it Rice River, so Pishtaka. 
And then I, and then as I started following through on that, um, the, the native Indians of this area said that when they came to the Burlington area, which is over by Absalon as well. So, you know, it's, um, um, but anyhow, when they came to this area, there was a, a white race of giants living here, uh, with red hair that build stone temples and mounds. And they called them, um, the Hukadesh. And when, uh, I started stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, Kadesh, you know, where have I heard that before? But then I realized that, um, remember there was a battle of, uh, who was it? Um, it wasn't Solomon, it was, uh, well, there was a battle of the Egyptians with the Hittites, and it's called the Battle of Kadesh. And then when I start, and then I started reading up on Kadesh, it means holy ones. And it also makes reference to the word Kadesh as, well, being Brahmin, as well as um, Kadesh also was a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, the Ark of the Covenant not given to the, not given to Moses, but the original Ark of the Covenant that was given to the people of, um, of, of this land, um, by these sons of God as, as a covenant between them and the people of Earth during the days of Atlantis. So, yeah, so what I found out is that, uh, you know, you can, as far as the history of North America and realizing that it was a motherland, you can actually find Pushkara in the Mahabharata, you know, in the uh, Indian Vedics, you know, using the right term. Right, and right. from there, you know, once you get into the Vedics, it, it talks, and I also have it in my book about how uh, uh, Krishna and uh and, and different princes and kings of, you know, the, of the, of the, the land of Krishna used to fly here to North America and visit the people of, uh, uh, visit the, uh, the Nagas because this was to be, they referred to Pushkara, Pushkara or the North America is the land of the Nagas, you know, the serpent people. And they were, and described them as magicians that could take on the form of human or serpent. So, I mean, so there's history of North America going all the way back to the ancient Vedics, you know? So, if the ancient, and, and of course the ancient Vedics talks about the Atlantean War and, and mentions, you know, um, Pushkara. They called, uh, I believe though that they called, uh, Pushkara in the uh, the Mahabharata, they called it Atlan, A T L A N. That was the lower worlds. The upper worlds, where the sun rose in the east, was Talan, T A L A N, and where it set in the west was Atlan. A lot of good history in my book, Red Haired Giants. But <laughs> well, what I wanted you, you... to do, though, with my book is I, I wanted to focus on. What I want to do is not prove so much the giants, which I did in my book, you know, in this one chapter, but, um, you know, the different burial sites that was discovered, you know, in Wisconsin. I, what I took um, one winter, I, I went through all these old newspaper clippings, you know, from uh, the library archives and, um, and, and was 
clipping out um, articles on uh, red-haired or giants found in Wisconsin. So I, I do do that as well. But what I wanted to do with this book is more focus on their, their migration, how they became, um, you know, because the idea in my book is that these were like the ancient Toltecs as well, and they were the precursors to the, the Aztec and the Mayan. So I wanted to focus more on their traditions, their ways of life, how they how they became one from one people to another people, you know, and the wars that took place during that time, you know, and how they and you know pretty much the war of extermination of the giants, you know, it's all in my book, and then of course the proof, you know, through language, you know, through. Uh, uh, bloodline and, um, you know, through geology as well as, uh, you know, ancient texts, you know, proving that these people existed. And I think I did a really good job of it. Do I talk too much, guys? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. You sound fine. <laughs> but anyhow. But, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of my book. Uh, good book. Well, Mary, uh, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's time for us to take a little break here. And, uh, when we come back, I want to ask you, you made a reference earlier, uh, uh, about, uh, DNA studies. Right. Uh, that were, that were conducted. Uh, so, uh, but I want to, I want to hold that till, till we come back. So, uh, you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Tonight we're talking with Mary Sutherland. And so stay tuned. We will be right back with more. Searching for what will call the truth Anymore they say I'm crazy Well so are you Shackled hands Robots walking through the sand Anymore they say I'm crazy So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait. Mom, what? What? What'd you say? Wait a second, huh? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. 
There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new Players App Store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. And welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Tonight we are talking with Mary Sutherland about uh, weird Wisconsin, red-haired giants, uh, dogmen, and just all kinds of interesting things. Now, Mary, before we uh, left on our break, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, DNA studies uh, that had been done. Now, I, I take it that uh, since... Uh, at least as far as I know, nobody has any more the, uh, the, the bones of these, uh, uh giants that, uh, were discovered, uh, primarily in the 19th, uh, century in these bounds. So what, uh, what were these, uh, DNA studies done on? Okay, uh, it's a little technical, so if you don't mind, I'm just gonna refer to my book. Sure. Okay, in my book, um, it says, through DNA testing, it was discovered that 2.5% of the North American population was found to belong to what is called the X lineage. The X lineage, discovered by a geneticist, is identified as a distinct genetic type which may hold one of the most important keys to unlocking the secrets of our collective past. The X lineage was ascertained to have been present in the Americas from about 38,000 to 10,000 years ago. The highest concentration of this group is found in the northeastern region of the United States with virtually no X found in Asia or Africa except in um, a, a tribe living in the northern Africa's uh, Gobi Desert. Although the vast majority of Native American tribes contain no X members, the X lineage was found in about 5% of the populations of the Yakima and Sioux in the northwest and the Navajo in the southwest. 
Today, the highest concentration of the X lineage is found in the Iroquois nation, the Ojibwa, the Anasada, and the Nuchanoff tribes from almost 25% of the tribal members following or falling into the X lineage. And although it was known to exist in Europe in about 5% of the population, it is not known to have existed in Asia or Africa, nor was it found in any native tribes in Central or South America. So this is important part. To buy into the theory that ancient man of North America came from Asia, we'd have to take one big leap of faith. We'd have to convince ourselves this ancient tribe trekked 8,000 miles from the desert to the northeastern section of the United States and transferred their genes from their ancestral homeland to the Great Lakes without, and I quote, without depositing their ex-group genes in any other part of Asia, Alaska, Canada, and the regions between Washington and Northeast America. Well, it's interesting because, you know, in uh, in my book, Caverns, Cultures, and Concealed Creatures, I look at the ex-haplogroup, and, and its highest concentration in the world is in the west of, of Ireland. Um, there's there's more there than anywhere. Um, and as you move as you move eastward across Europe, it becomes less and less. Hmm. And when when you think about what, what we learn all the time, for instance, we know about the Clovis culture in North America and 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 the Clovis culture in Western Europe, and they both happened at about the same time, more or less. And then all of a sudden, an event happened, some sort of cataclysmic event, and the Clovis culture on the east coast of North America was destroyed. But right. at some point, this group called that we're now calling the Salutrians, you know, they came across the the, the I mean, the, excuse me, the Atlantic, the North Atlantic, and they they came following the ice pack probably, and that's where the Clovis culture on both sides came from. And to this day, you have the, like the Iroquois and, and others who who have uh, that haplogroup, just like right. the people in Ireland do. Um, right. There obviously was some sort of transoceanic, tr- transatlantic. A transference of genetic material there. Um, when you also start looking at this, you'll find that a lot of times people with that that haplogroup have more um, uh, paranormal activity. They have more uh, UFO abductions, all this kind of stuff too. So it's it's a very right. strange thing, but it really is something that can be quantified, and there is a connection. So yeah, I mean they, they obviously that they're are people in North America who are not Siberian or not totally Siberian in their in their origins? Um, there are others who who have come from all over the place, and it looks like Western Europe is definitely one of those places. Now, does that mean that everybody had a common origin in some place called Atlantis or or Atlan or Aslan or something like that? Well, I mean, who knows? But but the thing is that there is a connection between Western Europe and and North America, right? And um and in my book, uh, Lost in Time, I'm able to make that connection by showing that um, uh, that these people of North America actually left here and went into Ireland, okay? And they became what is known as the Tuthé Dinan. And uh, so you have your red hair, and I call it the red-haired gene. And you're, you know, and you're correct. Um, it seems like this red-haired gene has... Um, a lot of psychic abilities, and uh, it seems also that uh, uh, these um, UFOs uh, seem to somehow be attracted to these uh, people that carry this type of a gene. 
And this gene also puts out the, those double row of teeth and those six toes and the six fingers. Right. It's well, a, you know, that's also, that's also a Nephilim trait. You know that. Exactly. Those, those are the traits of the Nephilim, the giants. Well, you see, like I said, that this, this was uh, known as, uh, you know, according to the Mahaparata, it was known, of course, as Atlan, but the home of the Nagas. Well, right. We have to ask ourselves, what were the Nagas? Were they Nephilim? You know, yes, they were, they or, or they were a variant, a variant thereof. Yeah. Of, of thereof, and and then we had to now where I'm working and researching it or trying to work research it is in the, is in how how does that fit? How does the Nephilim story fit with the the story of the gens? Because we know that God had three creations. One was angels that he created from air. The second creation was, uh, uh, was the jinn that he cre- uh, created from the smokeless fire. And then the third was man that he created from, uh, that he created from clay. And so I'm trying to figure out how the, these jinn may possibly fit in with the Nephilim, or are they one of the same? You know, or was it that they bred into the jinn, bred into the uh, into the uh, women of Earth? You know, and produced Nephilim. You know, I, I'm still kind of I, I I don't know the answers to it. Uh, you know, is something I'm researching now. Well, that reminds you of the Celtic fairies. I mean, the the whole Irish thing, which is that the fairies are they're they're fallen angels, but they they aren't bad enough to be cast into hell. They're not good enough to be in heaven. They're stuck on earth till the day of judgment. I mean, this whole idea—it's the same kind of idea with with the jinn. And you know, yeah. I think what the, what we have with the jinn is probably a fallen angelic type of some sort, um, which of course would make them possible uh, progenitors and and relatives of the nephilim, who are part fallen angel and part part human so it could be very it very well could be that that they are related in some way have you ever heard of the the patch of priesthood or the the uh, curse of the nephilim i don't even know i've you know so much stuff well, in my and, brain yeah uh, and i know but um one of the uh one of the girls in my abduction buddies group i have like a closed group for people you know that have been of have either have abductions or had contact and she had posted something a while back that really captured my attention. You remember the story about how Ham found his father Noah naked in the cave, and because when when Noah realized that Ham had discovered his nakedness, he put a curse on Ham mm-hmm. and um, and all of his descendants thereof. And I never could understand why that was, I mean, why would he have gotten that upset with Ham? Because this is, Ham would have been your, you know, more of your, uh, you know, uh, slaves. You know, the Europeans used the curse of Ham, you know, as, you know, um, you know, reasons why they could have slaves and here in North America as well. But anyhow, what I found out from this girl's uh, from her um, from her post, that what Ham saw on on uh, Noah was this scaly patch of skin that, uh, on his chest, 
that has been referred to as the, the badge of priesthood or the curse of the Nephilim. And uh, anyhow, apparently the Nephilim have this, uh, what would you call it, this flaw, you know, showing this this scaly skin, you know, um, mm-hmm. almost like a like a, a psoriasis, almost, you know, it would look like a red patch with a white scaly skin on top of it. But um, but it was said that never to bring this up to anyone because there was prior to the flood there was a great war going on with man and Nephilim, and if you were found to be a Nephilim, you would have been put to death. And so that, you know, that it has been brought up, you know, and I did do a Google search on this, you know, I just did like patch of priesthood, comma, curse of the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. And there was different articles brought up on this. And so, you know, there we go. Was Noah human or was he a hybrid? Was he... You know, was he uh, a Nephilim? I, I don't think I don't think he was, and there are various reasons for that. But I think he had an appearance which reminded people of of them, and it and, and his his mother basically had to say, "No, hold on, that's this not the case." But but the thing is that we're told, you know, that the very reason that he was chosen to survive and and be the new progenitor for the human race. Uh, it's very clear what it says. It says he was found to be perfect in all his generations. That means that genetically he was one hundred percent human. Um, he may have been his family, his his group that he took but with him. They, sure? they may have been the last hundred percent humans left on the planet. Um, and you know when you look at what happened, then you'll see that, for instance, in the books of Enoch, uh, all three var- variations in the book of Jubilees and and Jasher, the book of Adam and Eve, a lot of these apocryphal books, you'll find references to to the what was going on where the Nephilim were actually just like their fathers, they were actively interbreeding with humans as as quickly as they could, right. attempting to totally subvert the human race, and so the the whole. Basically, the whole flood story is a story of of a small group of people who separate themselves from the the prevailing culture of their time and say, "We have to go. Something's coming. We have to separate ourselves, or or we will be extinct as a species. We won't be here anymore." Yeah, that that's one theory, but it could also be that they were that he was a hybrid. Well, I mean, there's nothing that says that he was a hybrid. I mean, well, guess what? When they say pure, I mean, yeah, you know, I love having a debate on it, you know, because it, and of course, the people, our listeners, love having a debate too, because what it does is it just opens up our minds to all these different possibilities, and and it gets people to study more on the subject, so. You know, I think that probably until we know for sure on it, I guess every, every it's a theory, you know. Yeah. And we could probably discuss it until, well, we could discuss it until we found out the truth. But, you know, you just don't. You know, history has changed so much. And, of course, the words that are used have been changed as well. You know, the translation and everything. But, it, but what I'm... But it is interesting, I'm finding it anyhow interesting how the jinn play into this Nephilim bloodline. If they do at all. I'm, right. I don't know for sure. 
But well, they definitely like the, the jinn definitely like to try to take wives and and husbands from the human race. Um, so you know that ties in. That definitely ties in with it. Right. It, it, it's um, that Mary Ellen Guiley is. Uh, she does a lot of work on those jinn, and uh, I find her work just fascinating because I I think it was. Um, there was a UFO researcher, um, I can't, he was one of the older ones, um, and it, his name, it escapes me right now, but I was reading, I think it was his book, Dimensions, and um, anyhow, I was reading the book, and he brought up the that his theory that, um, that the UFO sightings, Bigfoot, and that uh, could also be the work of the jinn because the jinn had the ability to create like um, you know um, um, images in your mind you know where you think you're seeing one thing and you're seeing something entirely different right and of course that would also fit with what the, these magis or these nagas that the Mahabharata brings up about sure. North America being the land of these these nagas. Well, it also ties in even with Richard Shaver's stories about the Dero and the Tiro who live yeah. under the ground, but they can, they abduct humans, they mate with humans, and they, they even eat humans, kind of like the Naga do. And at the same time, they, they can project realistic three-dimensional holograms that can actually take on a physical type form in order, you know, including UFOs and, and, and things like this. They have UFOs that they use, but they can also create the illusion, illusions that will even show up on radar. So, you know, this is the, this is a very similar story, and I, I would say that it's likely that many of these things are just different names for the same group or groups. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. It, but it, and, it, it's very interesting because, you know, like when I first started bringing up the, you know, to different people, uh, I said, what do you think of these gin? You know, especially here in the Western culture, it's like, who are they? What are they? I, I couldn't believe that there were so many people here in the States that have no clue of gin until you bring up Genie in the Bottle, you know. And then yeah. it's like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. Whereas in the Islam and Muslim tradition, I mean, they're, I mean, they hold the gin very, very... Uh, they're, they're terrified of them. They're terrified of them. I yeah. mean... If they see a mouse, they think it could possibly be a gin, you know. Yeah. It's um, so you know that I think that, and so that's what I've been playing around with with my next book is the Nephilim and the gin connection, if there is even a connection, you know. But I think that uh, that there could be an important piece of the puzzle that we need to further investigate. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. Definitely. And it was uh it was uh Jacques Vallée who wrote uh, Jacques Dimensions. Jacques Vallée, thank you. Right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was Jacques Vallée that started my, you know, curiosity on it. Then I uh, ran into the works on YouTube of that Mary Ellen Guiley and uh Right. And I, and I'm going to meet with her this fall. She's, I think she's going to be doing a, um, being a, um, a lecture here in, the, I think it's, um, you know, uh, near 
not far from, I think it's Rockford or someplace here in this area she's going to be talking. And I want to meet with her and, you know, compare notes about what she's found out about these gin. And I also want to know how she's been able to talk about these gin, write about these gin, investigate them, and nothing's happened to her. Well, as far as we know. As, as, far, far, as, she's, as far as she's revealed, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's, talk to her. And I'll I'll be honest with you, when it comes to things like that, uh, in your personal life, the more attention you give them, the more likelihood you are to have a negative repercussion. Yeah, well, they say when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks back. Well, that's why I want to talk to her is because, you know, I don't want to go too deep into this until I find out from her, you know. As yeah, but don't, I mean, I mean, she, that may be why she hasn't told about her personal stuff because she doesn't want to give them any, any, uh, any street cred. <laughs> she, yeah. doesn't, she doesn't want to, you know, act like she's intimidated or, 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 you know, you, you get my drift here. Well, you know, when it comes to the haunted woods, you know, after I started reading and studying about these gin, because of all the paranormal that we have up there, I mean, it's just. We have the fairies, we have the trolls, we have the UFOs, we have the ghostly sightings, we got the Bigfoot, we got Dogman, and it's yeah. just a smaller woods, you know. And it's like, how could all of this type of phenomena be going on in one place like this? <laughs> and then I got to think that maybe it it's all brought on because maybe there's a community of chin up there, you know, and they. Right provide the experience that you're looking for because they would be like the Native American trickster, right? Oh, yeah, I would say so, definitely. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Very Mm. similar uh, activity. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... Well, think about it. Coyote was... uh, The Native American figure of Coyote would be considered a dog man. Right. And he could could shapeshift and, and everything else, so... Right, and then you've got that ranch out there, too. What's that? Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker, right. Um, well, and, you know, I've had I've had people report to me of sightings of, um, they referred to them as, as werewolves. I mean, the, the area that I, that I live here in southern Indiana was originally populated uh, when the white settlers came by uh, uh, by the French, so they brought with them, you know, their their mythologies of the uh, the Loup Garou, and so I mean there is still a belief, especially on the more western side of the uh, of um, southern Indiana, um, in creatures like that. And I have had people tell me that they have seen what they first thought was a large dog or a wolf you know, like running across the field, that as it would run, it slowly would morph to a, uh, a bipedal creature. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then would, uh, and then would run across, then finish, uh, their, their track on, on two legs. So, it's, uh, definitely to me, you know, it sounds almost, you know, very much tricksterish or, or, or gin-like. You know that, um, you know, the more I research, the more I realize that, you know, I don't dismiss anything possible anymore. Or, you know, you know, I, I, my mind is so open up to the possibilities of all this stuff, you know. There's, um, there's so many different reports on all this. And, I mean, the report, 
you know, it's like uh, nobody, a lot of these reports are back in the 1800s. They didn't have internet in those days, you know, but you got your, your reports from all over the world of these different strange encounters, you know. And it, it, there's just got to be some sort of a, a, a grain of truth to all of this. But to find out who the culprit is behind it, that's a, that's a, that's a journey in itself, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What do you think of the idea? And I, and I think Mike, you were the one who, who first brought this up to me that, um, the, the, the red haired giants, their, um, their basically descendants could still be running around uh, today as uh, what we'd refer to as uh, as Bigfoot because I mean right, we've seen right. we've seen you know reports of red haired Bigfoot and I mean the characteristics uh, the size and shape and everything like that seems to to fit pretty closely to the uh, the bones that have been discovered in these uh, ancient mounds. Well, yeah, and and the reason that we should look at this clo- more closely is because you know. W- and this is this is a long-winded thing we've talked about before, but basically the human race is a series of, of uh, we're all there is no human race per se. We are subspecies, which we call races. Right. We are all we are all <laughs> interrelated, just like different breeds of dogs are. We can interbreed with each other, and so <laughs> forth. And, and this ties in with the whole idea of Bigfoot being a branch of the human family. Um, but still able to interbreed with people that he abducts and, and so forth. Now, when you start looking at this and you look back at first to see the legends of the Nephilim, what's their main deal that they're interested in? They are absolutely obsessed with with breeding with human women. Um, that was the biggest thing. Even their even the sons, the offspring, the, the giants. They they had to have human women in order to propagate their own kind. In other words, if they go for too long without human. Um, without an influx of human DNA, genetic material, they, 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 something bad happens. They degenerate. You find this in folklore systems all over the world where you have hidden races that have to have an influx of human DNA or they will even tell people, we need, we need what you have because we're in trouble genetically. Our blood is weak, things like this. So yeah, I mean, when you start thinking about it in these terms and you could see that maybe some of these things include Bigfoot, they could be Nephilim that have gone down a bad path, you know, in terms of genetically, they've, they've kind of hit some bottlenecks. And so periodically they have to come out and they have to, you know, and people disappear, whether it's national parks or somewhere else, because they need what we have in order to propagate and in order to be, to not become even more bestial than they already are. Well, that totally makes sense. Uh, I think, well, I believe as you do, um, that, uh, there's different branches of humans, um, and as far as the Bigfoot, the best description of Bigfoot comes right out of the Epic of Gilgamesh. You know, um, the wild, yeah, yeah. hairy creature that yeah, in- uh, Enkidu. back to Brendan. Yeah, Enkidu, yeah. yeah, his, his best yeah, pal. Was basically, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, another thing we, we have to look at here is, is this isn't just a theory because the Human Genome Project has now proven this. I mean, we know for a fact that, that if you're a European, that you're anywhere from two to four percent Neanderthal, and if you're uh, uh, if you're Chinese, you're like two percent Neanderthal, two percent Denisovan. If you're Sub-Saharan African, you have zero Neanderthal or Denisovan DNA, but you have an older DNA that goes back four hundred fifty thousand years, which is pretty pretty old. Okay, in yeah. fact, it may not even be hominid. That's what the science says. So, you know, 
we all are interrelated in that we are part of a of a of a bigger family in the same way that canines are, and right. they can inter, interbreed with each other, but and and, and have viable offspring. But the, at the same time, anybody that says that that we are not a bunch of different subspecies that can interbreed with each other is just a fool because. That not only does the G- human genome project bear it out, but you know the most basic um, study of, of of the human race and anthropology and, and so forth bears this out. Even history. Um, so you know, it, it, it's going to cause a lot. Of, it's still causing stinks. It's causing you know screams of racism and all this other kind of stuff. But that's ridiculous because the fact is that. Uh, when, when you look at the fossil record, you'll see that all these different species were there, all these hominid species. They were everywhere, all over the planet, and they and they disappeared. Well, did they go extinct, or did they simply interbreed with a yeah. more dominant form? And, yeah, and then they, I think that's what happened with the red-haired yeah. giants a lot, is that the interbreeding, you know, with uh, the others that had come later. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you talk about... Um, you know, an obsession to breed into earthly women. Now, Frank Joseph was here all about a week or so ago, you know, and spent the night, and we just kind of sat outdoors by a bonfire, you know, and just talked on things. And he was telling me about uh, his latest book. It's on dolphins. And he was talking about um, how the dolphins are obsessed with uh, human women as well, you know, breeding into, um, you know, having sex with human women. And uh, and apparently they, from what he, his uh, research has shown, that if uh, if they actually somehow develop such a closeness, well, with a human woman, that they'll actually show love to a woman, and if that woman is taken away from the dolphin, the dolphin will either die of a broken heart or commit suicide. And and he was talking about and, and and he kind of related it back to maybe you know the old theory about aquatic man, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. why you know they right. they they have these feelings towards the women, you know, and they actually breed into the women. Hmm. So well, that well, that leads to the whole idea of of. Uh, various, you know, figures from folklore and mythology. I mean, you have the whole idea of the Quinitar, which was the founder of the, of the Merovingian dynasty, mm-hmm. um, which was a half human, half sea monster, basically. Um, yeah. You know, things like this. I mean, they, these things have always been been out there, talked about, hinted at, and so forth. Um, and, but yeah, there is there is an excellent book out, which was mostly discredited for years. But people need to take take another look at it. It's called The Aquatic Ape. Uh, I can't remember yeah. the lady's name who wrote it, but it's actually a pretty good book. And uh, yeah, it, it looks at some of the evidence. For instance, we, we have a, we have uh, we're the only primate that has a layer of subcutaneous fat. We're the only primate that cries salty tears. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff about humans that seem to indicate we may have spent some time. In the ocean, um, yeah. at some point. So, yeah, well, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. Uh, you know, and that's why we can't be too glued in on one theory. You know, because I mean, the, every day we're we're learning more and more about you know possible you know uh, new humans or new different types of breeds of animals. Uh, 
you know, the cryptid animals, new dimensions, um, alternate realities. I mean, it, it's just, we're just in a world of just all this information coming forth right now, you know, and the best thing for all of us to do is just kind of look at it all with an open mind and absorb what we can and, you know, file away the rest for another day. Yeah, uh, I think I think you make a very good point there, uh, yeah, because I see so many people who have just you know closed their minds to yeah. new information, and and you know and, and not even willing to to discuss uh, to discuss this stuff. I mean, it's just like, well, you know, I know it's wrong. You know, well, how do you know it's wrong? Well, it's 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 just wrong. I just know it's wrong, and then that's it. And they just yeah. refuse to go any further with it. Yep. But I mean, right or wrong, it's still fun. You know, to me, it's fun to talk about. You know, it's fun uh, to investigate. I just I don't understand why people get angry because of another person's passion. You know, that's <laughs> never made sense to me. It's like, well, it, it, well it's well, not your life. If I want to. Yeah. If I want to believe in fairies and leprechauns and UFOs, I mean, what that doesn't hurt you any. Well, it hurts their worldview. It hurts their brain. It's called cognitive dissonance. It's one of those things where if they have to compre- even comprehend the idea that things like that can exist, then it causes them extreme personal discomfort because then they realize that maybe, just maybe, their worldview is not complete. That makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it just gets to the point where anything different from that worldview, they just shut it off. And, yeah. I mean, you know, they just, uh, and then that's it. I mean, they just, you know, <laughs> they refuse to discuss it, refuse to think about it. They get angry. Oh, very angry. You know, they take a very personal but me, I, I just like, you know, I love the magic. I, I wrote a book, uh, Living in the Light, Believe in the Magic. It was my first book. And, and that's what I, that's my life. I love living within the magic of life, the happiness and then the investigations and the possibilities of, of fairies and little people and Bigfoot and giants, you know? You know, I don't feel that I'm, you know, a mass murderer because of it, you know. But I guess a person every morning, they wake up and they can either choose to be happy or choose to be angry, huh? You're either going to have yeah. choose a good life or a bad life for the day. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good that's that, that's really a good way to put it, you know. And I and I'm like you. I mean, you know, to to me. This kind of stuff is just, it's, it's, it's fun to investigate. You know, it's, it, uh, I, I would hate to think that we live in a world where all the questions have been answered and that any, any mysteries, anything out of the ordinary is just misperceptions and that there is a very easy scientific answer. You know, to to everything. I mean, to me, it's just like, well, that's that's dull, that's boring. Wouldn't that be? And you yeah. know, another thing that I like um, is, you know, with what we all do, you know, doing radio shows or lectures or writing books, it's the people we meet and sharing their stories, listening to their stories. You know, 
uh, their UFOs. Did you ever notice they always started out with, you may think I'm crazy, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, but I mean, I have, you know, through my years of all doing this, I have met some of the most wonderful people, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's great, you know, the research and, and the people I've met, you know. I guess if I look back on my life, there's not too much that I would change. <laughs> Maybe a few more dollars in my pocket, but what the heck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love when somebody comes up to me and starts starts out a uh, a sentence right there. You may think that I'm crazy, but, and that's, you know, that's when my ears open up completely. I'm like, no, nah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 just a... You know, there, there, I think that there was a time in the early 1900s, mid 1900s that they did think that everything, you know, to be discovered had already been discovered. But then when, you know, we've all of a sudden uh, this new physics opened up with, you know, astrophysics, quantum physics, you know, and all that. I mean, boy, did that, did that change everybody's opinion on everything being discovered? Because now we got all these new science, you know, coming out and showing, sharing their work with us. You know. Oh well, you know that's uh, that actually that statement has resurfaced again. It was just a couple of years ago, and I can't remember uh, who made this statement, but uh, I mean it was a, a fairly um, well-known physicist who who said the same thing that you know basically at this point everything has been discovered. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's just like, you know, and then, you know, any, any new discoveries are really just going to be, you know, dovetailed on older discoveries and that we, 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 we know everything at this point. And I'm just like, ooh, boy, that's, that's a little conceited. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's so untrue, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that's a closed mind for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it it to me it seems like that is a very materialistic statement. You know that you know they they well and naturally I mean there are a lot of people who look at it that way. You know that they look at the world strictly in the material sense, and it's just like well we've discovered everything in the material world, and since there is no other you know reality besides this one, then yeah, that's it. I was game watching. over. I was watching a documentary yesterday where, you know, the introduction of the train, you know, and um, anyhow, the scientists were all upset about it because they said that the human body could not, um, could not be a subject uh, to anything going over 20 miles per hour. They couldn't hold up to it. Uh, I think it was like we we couldn't breathe. Oh no, you can't have a railroad because you can't go that fast. You know what? What do they think people were going to do? Blow up or what? I don't know. You know, but yeah, what are you going to do with them? You know, apparently they didn't listen because we got our railroads now and we're going over twenty miles an hour. There you go. Exactly. Well, now if. in your lifetime, Mary, if there was one mystery that you would like to see solved, what would that be? It'd be the red hairy giants. Yeah. Who these people were, what their traditions were, their thoughts, their life, everyday life. Yeah, I think 
you know, it, it, I think that once that's, you know, been uh, solved, I think it'll open us up to so much more because they had all those different sciences too, you know, and yeah, I think that that would be my main thing is uh, just, you know, that. No, but you know that uh, well, if if that kind of discovery was made, then you would have, you know, like the the mainstream scientist, uh, you know, an archaeologist take it over and say, "Yep, see, we told you, we were right." You know, they, you know, the, and, and you know, people like yourself would just be you know, cast aside. Yeah, and um, you know, um, I talked to you know. I talked to this uh, minister one time because I used to do a lot of fundraisers and things like that before I got involved in this when I lived down in Arizona. And he asked me one time, he says, do you, why do you do this? Is it for a thank you, recognition, or what? And I says, no, it's just because I, I feel like I should. It, it comes from the heart. I don't care if I get a thank you or not. And he says, then then you'll be successful with it, hmm. you know. And I guess that that's the thing, you know. I, I think us researchers, you know, we do it because it's our passion. We're not doing it for the, you know, a thank you or for the money, you know. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that will take the, you know, they'll take the credit for our work, you know, not thinking anything of it, and they'll make their fortunes off of it. But, you know, in our hearts, we know where it, where it came from, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm okay. I'm I'm okay with it. You know. Well, Mary, we only have a few minutes uh, left in the program, so why don't you tell your our audience where they can uh, find out more about you, uh, your books, things like that. Okay. Thanks. Uh, first of all, a uh, reminder that I'll be at Stuart's uh, and Janet Swerdlow's uh, conference um, October 9th through the 11th. And Dr. Sam's going to be there as well, the discoverer of the um, of the Bosnia pyramids. And uh, Stuart's going to be talking on consciousness, and I'm going to be talking, of course, on the red-haired giants. Uh, and of course, um, you know, communicating with the quantum world. Uh, you can purchase my book, Red-Haired Giants, through Amazon.com, or you can purchase any of my books through BurlingtonNews.net forward slash books. And if there's any topic you're interested in, um, I have my own search engine on my site. So you can just go to burlingtonnews.net and find my search engine, type in a topic, and it'll pop up all my pages, you know, that I've written right. on that particular topic. And you can find me, if you want to join in on my discussions, daily discussions, you can go to facebook.com forward slash sci-fi cafe. There you go. Cool. And what's uh, uh, what's your most current uh, uh, book that you you have out right now, Mary? Right now, my well, my most current is Haunted Burlington, Wisconsin. But um, but also my my favorite is the Red Haired Giants, Atlantis in North America. But I like the other one too, Haunted Burlington, Wisconsin. That one's a fun one too. You can also purchase that one on Amazon as well. All right. Well, Mary, thank you very much for being with us tonight on The Outer Edge. We really appreciate it, and yep. uh, I, I wow. hope that uh, you can come back again real soon. Well, I had so much fun, guys. It's, well, thank you, Mary. Fun. We sure appreciate it. And, yeah, it's you definitely need to come back. Ideas. 
Yeah, I, anytime you want me, here I am, okay? I'm Alrighty. just a Skype away, okay? That's well, wonderful. everybody, thank you all for uh, listening to us tonight. Okay, Mary, right, stay, stay on the line when we finish out our show here. I uh, uh, need to uh, okay. talk to you a little bit uh, before we go. Uh, so, but let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, close it out tonight, Mike. Uh, All right, sounds great. Yeah, yeah, everybody out there, be sure and tune in next week for another great show. We uh, we enjoyed having you here, and uh, and uh, that's what we're here for is to stir you up and make you angry if we can. So hopefully we did that in the first thirty minutes. all right everybody have a good week all right good night everyone thanks for listening